C.K. Dexter Haven. Oh, C.K. Dexter Haven! What's up? You are. Let me think back, back to the long ago time when we did this before, so I can remember how to do our intro, guys. All right, here we go. Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy featuring a love triangle, or more in some cases, and tell you why the person who did the choosing picked the wrong person. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And And today... We're back. Hello. (laughs) Samantha has returned to us from The Rock. And- <laughs> uh, not, not the Nick Cage Alcatraz escape movie. Um, <laughs> or but- Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just wishing Dwayne The Rock Johnson well from coronavirus. No, I was at Smith Rock in Oregon, which is apparently a rock climbing uh, destination. I did not know much about The Rock before visiting The Rock and was discover- surprised to discover dozens of rock climbers scaling The Rock every day. How big is The Rock? Would it be scary uh, to climb it? Various sizes, various shapes and sizes. It's calling it a singular rock. I mean, what is is a rock? I don't know. How do you define it, right? Like, because it's several formations, and I suppose they're interconnected in a way where you could call it one rock, but it's very clearly like multiple rocks. It raises existential questions that I think, I think we should devote the episode to, frankly. The rock is the part of the structure that looks deep into your soul and your darkest fears and speaks to you, which we will be quizzing I, you about later, Samantha, once we finish okay. this recording. I did uh, just look at the rock. It was great. It was like my whole vacation. I woke up, I went on the deck of this house, and I looked at the rock in the central Oregon high desert. And the rock told me what I have to do. And it's something I... I knew I should have done a long time ago, but something I was afraid to do. A long time ago. And that was talk about Philadelphia story. (laughs) (laughs) Foreshadowing. Also, in other very important news that happened since our podcast went on a one-week hiatus, Samantha has a whole hairless child now named Zuma. (laughs) Not a not a human child, although she resembles a human child in the fact of having skin being wrinkly and adorable. Uh, she's a hairless cat, and she sleeps, and she likes to climb on my shoulder, and she's made it very challenging to write or get any work done because... She likes my keyboard a lot too, as many cats do, apparently. I'm learning, just as I learned what Smith Rock was by going to it, I feel like I'm learning what a cat is by now owning one. Or being owned by one, as cat owners all come to identify themselves. (laughs) Yes. The toxoplasmosis is already fully in my wife's brain. She's like, (laughs) because she can smell bad in moments of indiscretion, let's say, let's put it euphemistically. And Corey's like, I even love how she smells when she does that. And I'm like, okay, the cat parasite got into your brain in record time here. Like, (laughs) wow. By this time (sighs) next week, you'll be the same. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
This is the last recording you'll hear of me being a normal human. My last will and testament. Give all my wealth to my hairless cat, Zuma. No, it started already. Philadelphia story. It's a movie. So this week we are going to is do it? something new and unusual. Is it a movie? Sadie, don't send us off on more philosophical things. <laughs> we are all just going to talk like we would talk. I mean, like you guys aren't used to hearing that all the time from the rest of the episode. But we did not assign a single one of us to put together the plot of the Philadelphia story. Oh, by the way, Sadie, mistress of our email account, do you recall the name of the most beautiful entity who suggested the Philadelphia story to us? Because thank you. It was very visually appealing and pleasing in that fashion to watch. I do remember, but I'm going to very quickly double check because I do not want to get their name wrong. Um, that is very wise. Because in we the do meantime, I can say that the reason we didn't assign a summary is because, I don't know, for me, much like His Girl Friday, there was the um, kind of like narrative excuse for all of these characters to be in the same place that confused me and I did not fully understand that had something to do with an ex-husband wanting to make his ex-wife's life difficult by having her remarriage covered in a society column. that but doesn't really matter at all. He was but, actually yeah. trying to save her from humiliation because apparently it is more of an embarrassment to find out that your father was dallying with an apparent exotic dancer in New York than it is to have your own wedding covered very unfavorably in Spy Magazine. <laughs> so complicated motivations. Okay. Sadie, you've returned to us. Yes, I have. The listener's name is Lauren. They were very sweet and wonderful. And they suggested the Philadelphia story to us quite a few months ago. And we are finally getting to Philadelphia, metaphorically speaking. And what a bonanza of choice here. This was not just an other guy situation. This was like a triple, triple whammy. Plus an other girl situation as well. Are we going to bring Liz in as an option? Because obviously she is who should have been chosen. (laughs) So let's back up. Catherine Hepburn is Tracy Lord. She is a socialite who used to be married to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Cary Grant, whose character, I, this name I'm obsessed with, C.K. Dexter Haven is the name of <laughs> Cary Grant's character. <laughs> All-time great movie name. I liked that when Catherine Hepburn's Tracy referred to him by a shortened version of his name because I was watching with subtitles, as I always do. Also, they were very nice on HBO Max where they like switch to the part of the screen where they will be least like in the way of the frame, which was cool. But she called him Dext with the T, like enunciated. Dext. And also yeah. not Dext, Dext. <laughs> like text, but with a D. All right, back to the plot. Well, did, I would just like to point out. understand what, what he did for a living? I know Tracy Lord does nothing because she's like a socialite uh, and whatever. Was, but what does uh, Cary Grant do? Super duper rich. He was referred to several times as being from like the upper, upper class. And um, disparagingly, when other characters were angry with him, they told him that like his kind was going out of fashion and going to be extinct and die or whatever. And like apparently to occupy himself, even while he was apparently still drunk on liquor all the time he was like a very masterful sailboat designer yeah (laughs) 
for I yeah. <laughs> like one of I guess they like, had to make him do something. Like they had to make him be like a, a businessman in some fashion because they couldn't have him just be like a another socialite. Um <laughs> already this movie sounds like a joke where it's like a <laughs> comedy about a socialite goddess who does nothing and then a, a, a socialite yacht designer named CK Dexter Haven and yet this was like some broadly popular mass entertainment in the US in 1940 anyway also, blows my mind. Okay, so I'm completely obsessed that at the very beginning of the movie in the tiny vignette that shows where she kicks him out you know that's supposed to imply their divorce this bitch fully snapped a golf club over her knee (laughs) (laughs) while she is wearing like this flowing whatever people wore in 1939 or whenever this was filmed i think it came out in 1940 nightgown yeah like what kind of superhuman strength like golf clubs were made out of metal by then right and even if that was wood that was like some a hulk feat it was a it yeah. was a wild scene. That opening scene is arguably one of the wildest because um it's the only glimpse that the viewers get into her marriage with uh Cary Grant. D I I can't remember his full name, Dexter Dex. CK Dexter um, Haven. <laughs> where he he is leaving their mansion that they have shared together post-divorce right around the divorce and she's like taking he's she's like throwing his things out she snaps his golf club over her knee and then he backs her up into the entryway plants his palm he palms her face and shoves her back into the house and she falls onto the ground and um, I think if that's it, it's the... supposed to be like figurative, you know, yeah. like it's I, I mean, d- obviously, the domestic violence of it is like really troubling <laughs> like, and alarming and did not yeah. play well today. But I, I think it's not supposed to be like the literal scene of the kicking out and more like, haha, this is what their marriage was like in a little one minute, like, yeah, vignette. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wow, the times they have fortunately changed. So, OK, moving on from there. So he leaves with all his suitcases. She kicks him out. She hurls his little pipe collection onto the ground and breaks his golf club. And then they're divorced. And now it's two years later and she's going to marry this other guy who is like a man. Oh, his name is George uh, Kittredge. 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 Oh, Kittredge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, George. And he has a mustache and is not as handsome as Cary Grant because that's just hard for people to achieve. But he seems nice enough, except that he can't climb onto a horse very gracefully. And does he do anything for a living? Does anyone besides Jimmy Stewart and his assistant do anything? Yes. George used to be a coal miner, but now... He is apparently the manager of, I don't, I wasn't quite sure if it was, he was the manager of just a coal mine or like a chain of coal mines, but he has political aspirations. I think he's more Mm, in that like nouveau nouveau riche. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which was demonstrated to us because when Tracy, Samantha Lord, Catherine Hepburn first meets him at the barn where they're wearing their little riding, horse riding outfits, he is like, how do I look? And she tells him something like he looks fresh out of a catalog and knocks him in the dirt to put a little dirt on him. And, you know, he was like, his sneakers were too white. (laughs) 
I the social politics of this movie are really really interesting to me. <laughs> Apparently, we always liked watching wealthy rich people like you know live their lives instead of like seeing lives on screen that looked more like human lives. Apparently, yeah, this feels like a fictionalized keeping up with the Kardashians from 1940 in a way. Yeah. Also in uh, our trend of asshole little kids in movies, Tracy Catherine Hepburn has a younger sister named Dinah who is a tomboy and is very obviously rooting for her to stay with Cary Grant even though they've been divorced for two years now and is like way too excited about the thought of her sister being domestically abused. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yes. So to recap, right, we have, so Catherine Hepburn is divorced from Cary Grant and she is now marrying this new guy named George. And Cary Grant, in the two years since they've been divorced, he's been living in South America, question mark, working at um, the South American branch of Spy Magazine. And this introduces... <laughs> Jimmy Stewart into the mix. He is a reporter from more of like a working class, middle class background. And he has been assigned to cover the story of their marriage and the way that he gets into the wedding venue or whatever the the circle is through Cary Grant. Right? Yes. Am I am I, am I good so far? You are absolutely yeah. correct. And the only thing yeah. that you have left out is that Jimmy Stewart, who goes by his last name of Connor or his nickname of Mike, even though his real first name is Macaulay, is also accompanied by a photographer named Liz, who mm-hmm. is apparently also involved in a romantic relationship with him, although he doesn't really acknowledge it until the end of the movie. Strong oh. lesbian. Liz is 100%. Super. She is not attracted <laughs> not straight. to any of these men. And um, Oh, and also Catherine Hepburn has talked her mother into kicking out her father um, for the... Wait, was I talking about that before we started recording? Anyway, her father cheated on her mother. It is um, even though he said he didn't but everybody else said he did repeatedly multiple times and he kind of acted like he did with a, an exotic dancer in New York. So, so no men are allowed at, in this house at this point except for George who she's going to marry and Uncle Willie. But now we have everyone in the same place. The, with all of that narrative machination was just to get Cary Grant uh Jimmy Stewart and Catherine Hepburn and I suppose whoever plays George John Howard into one one little zany scenario. So they're together and, you know, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn have long talks yeah. about their marriage and about her forthcoming marriage. And Jimmy Stewart is moony eyed over her and George Kittredge is naive and blustery yeah. and yeah and he, Liz is like oh my god I will dr- have to drive drunk people around and type up their ramblings on a typewriter and then my whole reward at the end of this is to get married to a man so she was done wrong sorry yeah. for interrupting it, Sadie well no I was just gonna say George just to like clarify it it's technically like a, a four person love cube but more or less <laughs> <laughs> a hexagon shape um but george is never really present like there was never a moment where i was like oh maybe she's gonna end up with george it's pretty much like 
neck and neck Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart throughout this whole movie. Yeah. Um, and I would like to preface by saying I thought that it was going to end up where Jimmy Stewart got with Katherine Hepburn and then Me Cary too. Grant would get with Liz, the photographer. Same. Which... Oh, no. <laughs> Well, what? Well, I will say that I thought I would have been happier with that setup, but same. I must concur. Four person love cube should have been the title of the film, and I'm surprised (laughs) that the same writer who decided to call his characters C.K. Dexter Haven and Macaulay Mike Connor did not also title his film adaptation Four Person Love Cube. Strong <laughs> negative mark on this movie. <laughs> but yeah, as CD alluded to, in the end of the movie, she's about to get married to George and decides against it and gets married to Cary Grant instead. And Jimmy Stewart uh, has his hand thrust into the hand of his lesbian <laughs> photographer friend, Liz, and they're supposed to get married too. Jimmy Stewart really tried to get in there and I was with Sadie. I wanted it to happen. But though that said, her little breakup comments, Tracy Samantha Lord's uh, breakup comments to Mike McCauley, Connor, Jimmy Stewart also were kind of hilariously satisfying. But anyway, so our two movies that we have watched uh, from this period <laughs> being this uh, His Girl Friday and the Philadelphia story. Definitely, right? Like they're gonna, they can show some divorce. We can get a little wild here and hint at some possible outside of marriage sexual sexual activity that it is immediately canonically confirmed within the next five minutes did not occur. But then you have to get back with your ex-spouse, right? For the ending. Like, is that just how (laughs) movies... You can never stray too far. You always have to go back to the first marriage, always. You always have to go back to Cary Grant. (laughs) That's why they had to cast Cary Grant because they were depending on like his twinkly eyes and like chin (laughs) to do a lot of work. I thought you were going to say like his twink aura. <laughs> when you said that. I wish there would have been more twinks in this movie, but unfortunately. I like to they can't all Carrie be room with a view. <laughs> I like to picture Cary Grant's <laughs> agent calling him up and being like, uh, uh, okay, I've got a script for you. You're the ex-husband, but she gets with you in the end. And, and he's like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> he's like, when do I start? I'll fly out tomorrow. <laughs> as long as I get to be a twink. <laughs> He is very handsome. Are we in agreement? I suppose we should talk general reactions, but he's the most attractive option of the four three. No? No. I think Jimmy Stewart is the hottest. I'm going to go for... I'm kind of splitting splitting it here, right? Because Cary Grant, obviously, objectively, like looking at these people is the hottest. However, if for some strange reason, I was lined up in like, I was just transported to a white cube and these three men were in (laughs) front of me. And a voice said, you must pick one to sleep with right now. After having watched this performance, I would go for Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart is like a walking corn dog, you know? He's like... <laughs> like- but he would 
can't be so like zazzled by you, you know? It would just I did be not like his singing either in this oh, movie. I, I never like, like, people just shouldn't croon at each other, really, I feel. <laughs> uh, What's the movie where he, like, sees what it would be like if he were dead on Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, that's not... I've read a synopsis of White Christmas by Tom and Lorenzo, and that's the... I've never watched that, obviously, because it has, like, an extended blackface scene in it. But um, It's not Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a a wonderful... It's a wonderful... I was going to say Miracle on 34th Street. (laughs) You've killed that me. That Jimmy Stewart does it for me. <laughs> that should be its summary on, on streaming services <laughs> for It's a Wonderful Life. Damn. Jimmy it. Stewart sees what Dorothy it's like to be dead at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my thing with Jimmy Stewart. I like him when he's in that intense, like, they're stars and they're shooting out of your eyes. And I, I can see the, the sparks exploding in you. And I love you, Tracy. I do. You know, like I love that Jimmy Stewart, but the, like the drawling Lothario Jimmy Stewart, where he's like singing his songs and like Mm. carrying the girl around or singing Buffalo Bill. Won't you come home tonight? I'm not into that Jimmy Stewart. I like the desperate thirsty Jimmy Stewart. Samantha, that's a good point because after you had sex with Jimmy Stewart, if in this other dimensional white cube you chose to have sex with Jimmy Stewart, then he wouldn't be desperate and thirsty anymore, unfortunately, and he would probably sing you a song and you would want <laughs> to escape from the white cube, but you could not. Well, my thing, so though, right, with... Sorry. My no thing, though, saying. with... Cary Grant is I don't like him when he's know-it-all Cary Grant. Like there's this, I won't say smarmy, but there's this kind of. No, it's fair. I I would be, I would be like very annoyed if I, if my ex-husband was just so confident that we were going to get together, get back together. And he was just very like, like he knows something that I don't. I hate when people are like that. And so that's why in this movie and also in His Girl Friday, I don't like his character because he's so confident that he's going to get back together with Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> yeah. But I like those brief instances in this movie where he feels very real. Like um, the scene where he's talking to a drunk Jimmy Stewart. I liked Cary Grant more in that scene because he was more honest and he was more like, I really love this woman kind of energy. Yeah. And Sadie, that brings up for me like a broader thing I felt about the movie, which is I didn't really care so much about the machinations of the plot or who was going to end up with whom. But I found the writing of certain conversations to be just like absolutely rapturous. Like Mm -hmm. if you just dropped me out of context, like that conversation Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn have around that like outdoor dinner table near the end of the movie or like the yeah like the writing is fantastic and i could sort of care less about the narrative honestly so i watched this movie split into two parts today um i watched about half of it before i had to go to work and then i watched the second half right before recording this podcast and i think that that is prejudicing me in 
Cary Grant's favor a little bit right now because when I left for work this morning, I fucking hated him. Because in the first half of this movie, and I think that this movie would be much more palatable to modern audiences if both Cary Grant's first act, or I don't know, first act, first half, whatever, however acts are divided in theater. And, and also the dad, Seth Lord, when he arrives back, they both give these, like get the stage to deliver these extremely long misogynist speeches to Catherine Hepburn to tear her down about how her standards are too high and them being raging philandering drunks is just fine and really it's her who was the problem all along and so I was thinking that this was like the precursor to the ugly truth but then they do like a quick rehabilitation of Cary Grant in like the latter third of this movie (laughs) so so Sadie who was your other guy who's the one for you Jimmy Stewart absolutely I well uh Yeah, I was a little bit like not super invested as well, just because I was like, these people are all so rich and they're all so like involved with each other and involved in themselves. And so it was kind of a a fun rom-com to watch because of that. Like it, it was more of just like watching a play unfold, which I think a lot of older movies are like that. And I do appreciate, I do, I think they're fun. Um, but I don't know. I just really hate that trope of ex-husband and ex-wife get back together again at the end of a movie because undoubtedly they haven't like yes. really addressed a lot of the problems that plagued their marriage the first time around. And nope. I just, yeah, I wasn't really interested. And I thought that the, brief scenes that Katherine Hepburn had with Jimmy Stewart were very magnetic, in my opinion. And I thought that she just had a lot of chemistry with Jimmy Stewart. Whereas with Cary Grant, it's just kind of like telling you that they used to have chemistry without a whole lot of showing it up front. So like part of the distinction, one of the themes of the movie seems to be that George and Macaulay Mike Connor like have a worshipful attitude toward her and doesn't she have some line of like I don't want to be worshipped I want to be loved and it's about Mm -hmm. this distinction between like um yeah admiration worshipfulness putting someone on a pedestal and like actually caring for them and wanting to be with them and I don't know it was it was an interesting theme to grapple with because in the 1940s yeah, that looks, I don't know, <laughs> words calling someone a goddess uh, doesn't have quite is an interesting thing to do. Because at the end of the day, you're probably still expecting her to just like, have a bunch of babies for you and bring you the Sunday paper and like, clean your entire mansion, or hire someone to clean your mansion as Tracy Lord would do. Again, in my watching of the first half of the movie, I was like, oh, she should go with George. Because at the time, at the time, everybody else, every all these other men who were important to her in the movie are just fucking nagging her left and right all over the place. Like, they were just tearing her down. And George, in the first half was the only one to say that he 
he really loved and, you know, appreciated her the way she was, even though he he did kind of pedestalize her as a goddess there, you know, but I was like, that's fine, you know, go on and worship little peasant, peasant with your mustache. But yeah, I like that dynamic. He's he's done no. something real in his life. He's worked hard. And now he gets to like, fuck the wealthy socialite, you know, like he worked his way up to the top. <laughs> yes. And he's he's all about that. And you know, it seemed like a really good match. And But then the last half of the movie was just dedicated to tearing George the fuck down. It He does not respond well when his teetotaler bride to be decides to get trashed because she got nagged by her ex-husband and her dad really hardcore. And then wants to dance and make out with him where people can see. And you know, this would have been a very different movie if at Uncle Willie's party at 4am instead of being disapproving and stuffy, if George would have just made out with her and whisked her away to the the gatehouse on the property where he was staying the night before their wedding, then I think they would have had a happy marriage. I'm sorry, but th- she and Jimmy Stewart did not just, uh, what did he say they did? He was like, oh, it was no big deal. We just uh, shared a couple of kisses and played backgammon up under the full moon. And like, uh, uh, yeah, no. they went on and they, they went for fuck. a night swim. Where, yeah, there was, well, I, honestly, I don't know if like if they're being all like whatever 1940 intercourse erect penis must be inserted into vagina like our boy Jimmy was drunk as hell then and they were in a swimming pool honestly I don't know if it managed to happen mechanics wise but not because of willingness on either of their parts maybe two kisses was what sex was in 1940 you know I mean damn well Jen, I'm still like, I usually I come into the podcast with very preformed opinions, but maybe it's the lingering haze of the rocks control over my mind, or the toxoplasmosis <laughs> seeping into my brain. But I'm still kind of feeling out how I feel as we record. So I'm, t- I'm hoping that you too will have like Sadie a strong opinion about who she should have got who she should have ended up with in the very end. Okay, I do have a strong opinion. <laughs> However, not for either George or Jimmy Stewart, Mike McCauley Connor. My initial strong opinion was that Tracy should have just fucked the shit out of Jimmy Stewart and just fucking blown his mind (laughs) and destroyed him for life. And then just abandoned him to lean fully into the spinster thing and be the primary heir of this entire estate on which she resides and live her life and do her damn thing just how she wants. So that was my <laughs> my first opinion. But since we have started recording and you guys have brought it to my attention, I mean, she did, they did kind of make a point that like Tracy is pretty straight or at least you know on the the lower end of the Kinsey scale because when she's hung overly declaring that quote men are beautiful but Liz is the best character in this movie and that is who she should have chosen I uh. 
I feel more strongly that Liz should have should have ended up with Cary Grant than I do Catherine Hepburn mm. should have ended up with Jimmy Stewart. That's true, actually. I thought, Sadie, I was so convinced. Okay, guys, so going back to our, our higgledy-piggledy plot summary, there is a point where Liz ends up in Cary Grant's mansion for the night, right? Because she is driving drunk-ass Catherine Hepburn back home after Uncle Willie's party. And comes by Cary Grant's house because that is where drunk ass Jimmy Stewart went. And they find out that whatever the editor of Spy magazine has some blackmail against it. So they're going to like triple blackmail the blackmailer or whatever. So they end up getting switched out where somehow blackout drunk Catherine Hepburn wakes up from her sleep to drive drunk ass Jimmy Stewart the rest of the way home, which was extremely irresponsible. And I do not condone that. But Liz ends up (laughs) hanging out with Cary Grant to write up the blackmail document for the editor of Spy Magazine. And then there's a scene the next morning where he's dropping her back off. And that Sadie, that was where I was convinced. I was like, oh, I see what's going to happen now. I was like, Catherine Hepburn's going to end up with Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant's going to end up with Liz because they're more compatible and this makes more sense. Yeah. And and they had they had this scene where um, Cary Grant is dropping Liz off and like she takes her shoes off and they're like talking and there was like a very just a strong chemistry like not a we're about to make out right now chemistry but like a we could fucking do this like we understand each other and can talk to each other on a level that was sexier than most of the interactions the entire movie Mm -hmm. so yeah I was really sold it that would, was going to happen too. It would be a gay lesbian marriage of convenience though. Cary Grant and Liz. Cary well, Grant would be like, that. look here, dear, I'm about to go design a yacht. And that that means that he's going to go like, you know, have sex with a man. And Liz would be like, that's okay. I have to go photograph a women's softball competition. You know, like <laughs> they would just both have their own parallel lives going on. Well, and like, Liz was so concerned about she's the one who keeps Jimmy Stewart from fucking KOing himself at his job because she's like, I don't want to get fired. I need this money. Dude, she's the only Cary one holding Grant. it together. Like she <laughs> is like the only Jimmy one Stewart. with a job who's like doing her job and also has a strong like emotional center and isn't just wildly <laughs> like oscillating all over the place. Liz is <laughs> Just the what's the uh, I want to quote a you've got mail line, but I don't know it. She's standing tall against the winds of adversity. You know, she's a lone reed. That's that's what Greg Kinnear says in You've Got Mail. <laughs> a lone reed standing tall against the winds of adversity. That's Liz. And she's great. But look. Y'all, you can't queer the Philadelphia story. And that's a big thing for me to say because I think you can queer everything. Queerness suffuses life as we as we know <laughs> yeah. it. But the Philadelphia story is as straight as Uggs and hot coffee. It is like the most <laughs> heterosexual thing ever. <laughs> the fact that she gets drunk and when she's drunk, she's just like, ah, oh, can you just... Uh, uh, sh- shove your face in a man's armpit right now. Like, yeah, this is like. God, I love this men. Is a straight text. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that happens to bisexual people sometimes too, Samantha. Let's not be. Not yeah. like that. <laughs> I think we can all agree. 
and Catherine Hepburn also just does not give off by vibes that I that I know of. Oh yeah. my god, though! How so? Jen's film education continuing with this podcast. So this was the first Catherine Hepburn movie I have ever what? seen. What? Wow! Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! Obviously, this I've whole seen- podcast was worth it <laughs> just to make that happen. I've seen so many still photos of her, but maybe because we watched Party Girl earlier this year, I just kept thinking. Oh my fucking God, Catherine Hepburn and Parker Posey have the exact same profile. Similar characters too in their yeah. in both of the movies you just mentioned. Damn, your first one. I'm so glad that I've been, I was here to, to share in this moment with you. What was your first, Sadie? Oh, I've seen so many. I I'm sh- my mom really likes this movie, so probably this one as well. A long time ago. Um, damn. Yeah. A lot of I, I, will say, I, oh, I get ahead, a, I get her mixed up with Rosalind Russell in a lot of her films, too, because I feel like they have similar energy. Ring-a-ling-a-ding-dong. Janet Snakehold. Janet. <laughs> 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 a little Parks and Rec recreation. a little bit repentant. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, the reason it surprises me is because as I, uh, as a mysterious one of us posted on our Twitter account, I strongly suspect Sadie, you, if we mapped the I'm three characters framed. in this movie onto the three of us, I would be Jimmy Stewart for sure. And you're a hundred percent the Catherine Hepburn character. And I, Sadie, I'm sorry, I guess, to assign you Cary Grant, but I think it's accurate. I think the glove fits. But you yeah. are objectively don't like the fit, one. but it fits. <laughs> <laughs> but like you've got a rich, like now you can go watch 15 movies starring a woman who's essentially like the 1940s version of you. In certain kind of emotional ways, not necessarily in (laughs) social positioning (laughs) ways. I was extremely flattered by that comparison of whichever of you wrote that tweet. And I, yeah. (laughs) Sadie commonly writing about how um, kind of pathetic and struggling Samantha (laughs) is. uh, I was just going off. Calling herself cat like a debonair in the same breath, you know. <laughs> so, like Sadie, wouldn't that be the most Cary Grant thing to do? Would be to neg me in a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But no, I really, I did. Um, I found her quite relatable in a transported back to a 1940 horror show kind of way in a lot of this movie, and especially it made me laugh again. I'm sorry, this is a Scorpio thing. This is not good. This is not something I'm proud of. And I remember acknowledging this when we watched that movie with Daniel Radcliffe and the horrible sandwich, but I laughed out loud (laughs) (laughs) when Catherine Hepburn's reaction to finding out that Jimmy Stewart did not ravish her blackout drunk unconscious body was immediately, well, aren't I attractive? Like... (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, bless. Strong Scorpio energy there for sure. The reason I relate to Jimmy Stewart is the the obviously the the profession, the writer thing. And there was this one scene where she like reads his book of poems or whatever, and then she's like, "So, like, you wrote a book? Why aren't you fabulously wealthy?" And he's like, "Well, uh, libraries are still a thing, you know." And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to text you about that when it happened. Oh man, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's like, yes, this is this is still the economic reality today, if not more so. You don't become fabulously rich writing books unless uh, Oprah or uh, who's the other one, Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> Does she have a book club too? Unless one of the two I'm gods sure. of, of book clubs yeah. smiles down upon you, you're not necessarily going to, you spent, know. He spent two years of work on that and it earned him $600. <laughs> you're still going to have to write for Spy Magazine to, uh, you know, keep keep a roof over your head. Well, this is completely off topic. I'm so sorry. Um, but I was thinking about like the whole message of this movie and I'm a bit like, I just want to just restate what I think the message is like at its core. It seems like, um, you know, because she, she ends up with Cary Grant, who's also this like old money socialite man, essentially. Um, and then Jimmy Stewart is kind of paired off with, with Liz, a fellow working class person, um, which is like fine logistically, but I feel like the overall message is just kind of like rich people got to stay with rich people and not rich people have to stay with not rich mm-hmm. people. And it just, it's really not going to work if you mix them. And I'm reminded of um, Pretty in Pink Yes, I was going to say that. Yes, they they had the same dilemma where they were initially going to have Andy, Molly Ringwald's character, end up with Ducky, John Cryer's character, but they changed it at the last second because they didn't want to send a message that um, classes can't mix. And this movie Wait a second, kind they of they were both the poor ones, right? They, yeah, they no, it was the opposite. No, 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 we put her with the potato. Well, awful. what was I? What did I say? Well, I meant to say what I meant to say by that. I got confused <laughs> by my double, triple negatives. Is that by having her end up with Ducky, they were going to unintentionally send a message that classes can't mix. So they had her end up with the rich guy because they wanted to show that like love can conquer all and they didn't really think about the fact that there there's no chemistry between between the two characters in pretty and pink um and i think the kind of the opposite i mean in my opinion she had more chemistry with jimmy stewart's character so i don't know if that was going into play where they were just like no 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 it's best not to ruffle any feathers let's have the two rich people end up together i don't know um but that's something i just thought about i think that there should be more interclass marriage in Philadelphia story and I feel like uh, Ducky should have won in Pretty in Pink so less class mixing in Pretty in Pink more class mixing in Philadelphia story these are wildly contradictory stances but they're both necessary (laughs) to be sure that the 
characters in their respective films end up with the emotionally right person. I feel like absolutely in this movie, I wanted Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart to end up together and Cary Grant and Liz to end up together. I am 1000% with Sadie on that. But I think that the driving force there was less about their class status because they did have to make a whole, they had to have Jimmy Stewart make a whole little speech about how like lower class guys can be shitheads and but an upper class guy like after Cary Grant was nice to him can be a really great you know a really great egg or whatever he said but I think that it was more the whatever is going on with divorce in these movies that they're showing that yeah you can get divorced in a little wild or whatever in the interim but then you have to get remarried to your ex-husband and it has to be very clearly established that you had no sexual contact with anyone in the interim so that you technically are still only a one man lady that was the vibe I got from this I've been processing. I've been over here processing. And I think I'm ready to make my determination. I'm going to be Team George. He's a stand-up guy. He's got a cute little mustache going on. Uh, He doesn't like flip out, but he's mad when she has her little uh, smooch moonlight swim with Jimmy Stewart. And he's the only one of these characters who knows what it's like to um, like legitimately like work in their lives, which may be something that I fetishize just as much as Tracy Lord fetishizes. (laughs) You know, again, because the worship thing is nice. I didn't like that he was, you know, he was upset when she acted suddenly wildly out of character. However, that is a very modern perspective on things. From a 1940s point of view, he was... George was enormously understanding at the night prior to his wedding to this woman who he knows to be one way. She gets blackout drunk and goes nude swimming and apparently twice smooching a reporter and all he wants is an explanation from her before they carry on with the wedding. So yeah, yeah, he he got pretty movie character assassinated there. You know, they're like, oh, but he's done bad things before and it's like, well, and these other two have it? We just didn't, we didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Spy Magazine in South America cannot be an ethical enterprise. That's got to be like a CIA front, (laughs) like (laughs) 100%. They are like overthrowing governments in like South America together and then coming back to the US to have little romantic misadventures. (laughs) It's one of those things where it's like, no, George was not great and I certainly would not be in a relationship with George, but I also would not be in a relationship with any of them because they're all (laughs) terrible and problematic in the way that I'm sure 99.99,000% sure the other men in the 1940s were, you know, it's just, that's just who they are. They were just in like inherently like misogyny was like built into the fabric of every man's being in the 1940s. Can we bring up for a minute um, the whole, like they devoted like what felt like 10 minutes was probably two to this speech. But Catherine Hepburn, Tracy Samantha Lord's father comes back into the scenario after having been kicked out of his home for canoodling with uh, what they call her, Tina Mara, uh, with uh, an exotic dancer of 
written yeah. down. And they were uh, definitely trying to make her sound like, oh, he went and slept with someone who wasn't white, which was, uh, yeah. yeah. There's a God. Some like it, guys, honestly, it surprises me even more sometimes, like sidebar in movies from the 90s, which feels closer than this. Like, I guess I, I'm more mentally prepared that like, I know I'm going to hear just completely out of fucking pocket offensive stuff, you know? So, but yeah, it was yeah. bad. <clears throat> so, but anyway, daddy comes home, has one over <laughs> mommy again. <laughs> They're yeah. taking a turn about the garden. I hated that, Jen. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Foresighted love cube or daddy comes home. And mommy. <laughs> oh my God. And so mommy is all shamammered again. And they're all like, oh, do let it go, dear. And she's all like, oh, how the fuck dare daddy go out and canoodle with a stripper. And then. Then the father proceeds to at first pour what I thought was the largest drink in the history of man, which I'm sure he did drink it all eventually, but apparently he was like mixing the cocktail and then poured it in small glasses to drink it a little bit. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my fucking God, that man poured like a three quarters glass of vodka. Anyhow, he pours this and then gives her the worst speech of all time about how it is Catherine Hepburn's fault that he slept with a stripper because she is not an adoring enough daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when daddy comes home, am I right? (laughs) I'm like dying over here and I can tell that you're dying. (laughs) Daddy comes home and mommy's in the (laughs) when daddy first comes home literally they call him uncle willie stop calling him daddy (laughs) i can't breathe anymore Yeah, I 100% had no idea what the hell was going on with the whole like dad philandering thing or like why it mattered at all. Well, now you know. (laughs) And when he pinches her ass at the beginning? No, that was Uncle Willie. That was legit Uncle Willie before the switch up. Uncle Willie is the ass pincher. Daddy is the stripper philanderer. The, oh, the complicated webs we weave when daddy comes home. <laughs> More convinced than ever that this should be a reality TV series set in 1940 with lots of like in the moment interviews with Catherine Hepburn being like, when daddy came home from Tina Marie's, we were all real upset with him. See, and, you know, cut to them having like a tense pre-scripted filmed dinner in there dining suite oh god (laughs) oh samantha you (laughs) where do we even go should we should we should we rate it should we i think are there more things rattling around in the brains the the poor child and how fucked up she is gonna grow up or should we just not 
actually. Dina the lovable scamp. <laughs> yeah, slash touch on. Get- <laughs> yeah, I liked your asshole boyfriend because he was nice to me. So why don't you get back with your asshole boyfriend so that he like, you know, keeps bringing me like magazines and candy from the newsstand or well, like, whatever shit like, you know, asshole husbands and boyfriends do to endear themselves to relatives of. Yeah, anyway. Also weird that her name is like canonically Diane question mark in the movie. But Catherine Hepburn's character just like renamed her Dinah. And they were like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Does any character That's all I have, have like say. a normal name? Does, is not. any character just like <laughs> named their name in this movie? Liz. <laughs> yeah. Liz is very straightforward. <laughs> Even she's an Elizabeth, of course, but th- that that is less, you know, oh my uh, God. And shenanigans also- than CK Dexter Haven. Okay, the absolute mystery to me. I I feel like I followed this plot better than the both of you. Like I was I was in there the whole way, but then I was like, who in fuck's name is Mac that they kept talking about? And he was like, he wasn't even the butler or the bodyguard that got more screen time than him. He was just like some old man with a gap in his teeth who I don't even know how he was introduced. Like he turned up at the end. They talked about him when he wasn't on screen and they were like something about Mac being the salt of the earth when they were talking about the classes not saying anything about people that upper class people can be shitty but lower class people can be cool. And they used Mac as an example and I was like who the fuck is Mac? And then he came rolling in and he was just some old man who was like there to attend the wedding and I guess works for them i don't know the actor who plays mac was born in 1885 that is the piece of trivia i've discovered about mac that i needed to share with you wow and he he died five years after this movie came out so this was one of the last things he ever did well you guys can um i was born in 1985 are you Hashtag daddy comes home. <laughs> oh no. Now I've got it set in my mind to that song, um, like Sunny Comes Home. Daddy comes home to the kitchen room or whatever. <laughs> and sets everything on fire. Please, guys, listeners, somebody write us and tell me that you know what I'm talking about because I don't know that these two. You use... fully made that up. That song does I not exist. Not. You have heard this song. <laughs> have you not heard this song? Samantha, you were raised Mormon. Maybe you weren't listening to pop radio in <laughs> yeah. Tennessee at the time. That I, I was allowed to listen to the Beatles' less risque <laughs> songs. <laughs> I am fucking singing so, you all this song. The song about no Sunny eight days burning a week, everything but... down and her mind escaping through the fire. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's that's how I felt when Daddy returned. Stop. I, I hate you. <laughs> let's rate. Let's rate. We can't. Okay. Uh, I will give it... Uh, Oh, I three and a half uh, honeymoon yachts out of five. Really amazing writing, some terrific performances, but ultimately not my favorite 1940s romance. I would have, I prefer bringing up Baby as a Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant movie to the Philadelphia story. Big uh, fan of bringing up Baby. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's all for me, fam. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna say, do you want to go next, or should I dive on in there? <laughs> I'll go ahead. 
I'll just really quickly give it like two and a half meddlesome younger sisters who are definitely a lesbian um, out of five. I I liked it. I thought it was very well written. Um, I thought that the dialogue was just very snappy and fun in the way that a lot of these, you know, golden age of Hollywood movies are. Um, but I just really wasn't particularly invested in any of the characters and yeah i got kind of bored halfway through so <laughs> that's my official review <laughs> as a zoomer well i feel that I'm, I'm gonna be a little uncharacteristic here maybe i was zazzled because this is my first katherine hepburn performance i have ever watched but i am gonna give this four of five post-party swims, which were obviously skinny dips because she did not jump that floaty seat with dress in the water. And I don't know where he got that blanket that he was carrying her back in while crooning. But it's probably a monogrammed blanket that she just had <laughs> lying around. Just speaking case. of monograms, CK Dexter Haven's initials like probably can't even fit on a pajama shirt. <sighs> it's his is cross to bear. <laughs> But sorry, Jen, I, I interrupted oh, no, but, you. Yeah, no, that's pretty much. I, I really, I hated this movie so much in the middle while it was doing its moralizing. And then weirdly, the moralizing continued at the end, which I also hated, but I enjoyed seeing Catherine Hepburn deliver breakup speeches to two separate men in profile so much that it just sailed me through. So four or five nighttime skinny dips in your outlandishly rich pool. <laughs> the Philadelphia story. <laughs> have you tried being rich? Like, have you just tried it? Like, why not just be rich? <laughs> what's, your, what's your problem? I mean, uh, it seems like it would be better, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe none of us ever thought of it before. Damn. I'm so grateful to this movie for letting me know that I can just become rich. Yeah, we're going to come back next week and be just fabulously wealthy. And uh, we'll talk about how we watched the movie for the podcast on our home theaters while our personal chefs made us, uh, you know, orders. Oh, I had a I had a minor spat with my partner. I thought I was robbed because my diamond ring and bracelet were left out on the on the dining table by the west patio when I went and to dip in the pool. And then if that wasn't bad enough, Daddy came home. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going to have a little bit of mental turmoil when daddy arrives home to mix the <laughs> vodka, whatever he was coming up with. There. Well, I did like let's... how daddy was like, did look absolutely indistinguishable from Uncle Willie, except was like three inches taller. So no wonder you guys were confused. Oh, yeah. Also I couldn't tell anyone apart. <laughs> <laughs> like Sadie, halfway through this movie, I just like zoned the fuck out yeah. which is not usual for me for the podcast movies but i just kind of one sitting i feel like yeah. breaking it up was absolutely was key to understanding what was happening <laughs> i just let it wash over me and was just like that's a nice outfit katherine hepburn is wearing 
Uh, wow, that was a pretty cool line. It, it would it was just a synesthetic experience for me by the end. Fully. For somebody who didn't like to be described as a goddess, Catherine Hepburn wore a lot of flowing white dresses in this movie, and they soft focused the fuck out of her close ups as did. they do in like every movie of this era. <laughs> but it's just like, no, that's not like water on your TV screen. No, like you didn't lose. <laughs> a contact lens that's just how they shoot already beautiful women in this time period i guess it's the equivalent of like airbrushing or like you know the, we should go whatever. back to that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just oh, make man. it all a little fuzzy. <laughs> I completely forgot until now to bring up the only character whose age was repeatedly emphasized was Jimmy Stewart, the writer who had to write for Spy Magazine to make it work, who was 30. I don't know how the fuck old Catherine Hepburn was supposed to be in this. Probably like Sadie's age. But <laughs> <laughs> what the Yeah. Fuck? They all, for me, mentally, I know they all have like 20 and in Catherine Hepburn's Hepburn's case, like 40 year film careers, but they're all like 39 for me, like in in my head. Like Cary Grant is just like one age in every movie he's ever in. Yeah. It's kind of hard for me because like objectively, like I look at Cary Grant and I see his twinkly eyes and like his charisma on film, but given like the styling and everything and like the age of my grandparents, like he just looks like the most handsome pop pop of all time. Like that's what Cary Grant is. Wait, did you just call Cary Grant pop pop? (laughs) i we have to we have to cut (laughs) we have to cut Uh, this let's say rate us on apple podcasts leave us a review follow us on twitter at yssTOG. send us an email at yssTOG podcast at gmail.com this is now the second time we have done a suggestion that we received in that inbox if memory serves so we're very amenable to requests We are little marionettes who will talk about whatever movie you write us about if you give us even the slightest bit of attention. And you know what? If you give us just a little bit more attention, maybe even Pop Pop will come home. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Oh, my God. You have to cut us off there because I I was like trying to just hold in my breath to like say that. I also want to do one more shameless plug because this will come out tomorrow, Thursday. And if any of you listening have an Audible account tomorrow, you can go. Well, tomorrow is today, Thursday, October the something 8th is when this message. I understand time. I'm doing a terrible job promoting my little audiobook, but I have an Audible original out now called M2, M2WTF, and it is a collection of humorous transition-related anecdotes, and it has a title that I cannot believe I persuaded Audible to let me use. <laughs> So check that out. Yes, you definitely should because Samantha's right. It, writing is incredible. And it's, oh my God, and you do this on Audible so you can hear it in Samantha's own voice, which will be even better. And if you listen to it, actually both Daddy and Pop Pop will stay away and not bother you, which is a way better result. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, I do a Jimmy Stewart impersonation in the book. So <laughs> that, there's a through line here. 
<laughs> not the whole book. That would be great, though. <laughs> Can you imagine going to Audible and being like, I want to write a trans memoir? And they're like, okay, listening. And I want to do the entire three hours as Jimmy Stewart. And they're like, uh, you lost us. <laughs> All right. Oh, CK Dexter Haven! Oh, CK Dexter Haven!